Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. With us today is my friend Chris Castaldo, the author of Startup Secure, Baking Cybersecurity into Your Company from Founding to Exit, and also the CISO at Crossbeam. Chris, welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about your book. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you giving me uh, the platform to talk about uh, a lot of interesting topics today. So the book is specifically for founders. I went through a lot of those, you know, top 10 books every founder should read, and I couldn't find a single one that mentioned cybersecurity ever. So I uh, set out to write a book just for those folks to hopefully get them started in the right place, regardless of where you're at, right? Seed, C-series round of funding should be, uh, should be consumable by anyone. You know, you don't have to be technical to read the book. So I'm excited about it. Fantastic. Where is it available? Amazon.com available for pre-order right now or any of your favorite bookstores that uh, do pre-orders. And I'll let the audience know as well, I got a sneak peek at the book. I got to be an early reviewer, so I'm very excited. I've already read it. It's, it's definitely worth a read. I appreciate that. First, a brief word from our sponsor. You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? Are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check it out at attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this show. Chris and I are here not to talk about his book today, but to talk about the topic of business-oriented CISOs. It kind of overlaps a bit with your book, I think. A lot of founders and uh, folks that have CISOs need those CISOs to be aligned with their, their mission, right? Especially in a startup, if everybody's not mission aligned, you can get yourselves in trouble. Let's see here. Let's start with a bit about you and your day job. Like you mentioned, I'm the CISO at Crossbeam. I actually just recently started there. Really interesting platform. They're the world's first and most powerful partner ecosystem platform. And coming into this space kind of new, I was really interested to learn about the problems that they're solving. So it's basically, we act as a data escrow service that finds overlapping customers between your prospects and your partners while keeping that all private and secure, what you want to share, what you don't want to share. That's my day job. Sounds fun. So what does it mean to be a business-oriented CISO? And I want to point out that uh, on my LinkedIn post, Terrence Goggin over at La Brea Technology said, are there CISOs who aren't business-oriented? And if not, what are they oriented on? So what does it mean? What does it mean to be business-oriented and not business-oriented? So for me, I feel that is when you're building out cybersecurity in your organization, whether it's new or existing, looking at it from the rest of the business's lens, right? So looking at it from how your CFO looks at the business, how your CRO, how your head of sales, right? Everyone's got the same priority, right? Everyone wants to see the business succeed, but they have their own responsibilities, right, in in the organization. So I think to to be able to be business-oriented is really understanding the rest of the business and your stakeholders and your coworkers and partners. It takes, I think, several different steps 
to get that information, right? So, you know, you started starting with trust and building relationships, right? Making sure people trust what you're saying and doing. And I think on the the other side of that, I'm sure there are there are CISOs out there, security professionals that maybe aren't business minded. I know it was a change for me when I went from individual contributor, you know, very focused at a granular level on cybersecurity and and how I thought cybersecurity was supposed to be applied into an organization. And then when I went, you know, from IC to people manager, you know, is is eye opening, right? I had more exposure to more parts of the business, had a better understanding of how my work was either negatively or positively impacting the business. So I think there's, I think there's certainly both out there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I noticed in my career progression as I, as I kind of climbed the ladder of management that by the time I hit director in a, in a fairly large size organization, I realized most of my job as a director was outside of my department, not inside it, right? I was, I was the liaison. I was the one bridging with all these other efforts and making sure that what I was doing was in alignment with the business. And I think that started at about director level for me. You know, my definition of not business oriented, I think, I think all of us recognize that we need to protect the crown jewels. And I think it's a very good, straightforward, aligned with the business statement to say, you know, oh, a CISO should discover what the crown jewels are and what the business most cares to protect. But I think going beyond that is what's vital. To your point, I think relationships really matter. I think understanding the business mission of other players in the room matters. And I think figuring out how you can actually align. And I guess my next question for that is, you know, I had asked on LinkedIn about how do CISOs affect the bottom line? And Dane Vallejo over at F-Secure Consulting said, is there any expectation in your business that security will make any contribution to the top line? Is it possible and realistic to expect security to drive growth? And I think that's a really powerful pair of questions. As we become business-oriented CISOs, what are we doing about the bottom line and what are we doing about the top line? Yeah, so I think understanding the the difference between those two, right, especially how they apply to your organization, they're going to have different implications at a public company versus a private startup versus a early stage startup with, you know, two founders versus a late stage startup with, you know, 600 employees, right? So depending on what space you're in, most of the organizations I have been at, it's uh, a compliance requirement or something customers ask about, but it's not a cybersecurity product that we're selling. I've, I've worked at one other cybersecurity startup. So certainly, 100% that was part of the top and bottom line, right? Is uh, if you're selling a cybersecurity product and it is not secure, that's certainly going to affect both of those things. When you're looking at it from, let's say, my day job, right? So I want to make sure we're protecting our customer data. Are those customers buying it? for security or are they buying it for the other features, right? They're buying it for for other features. It's not a cybersecurity product, but there is the expectation, just like when you get into the car and you put on your seatbelt, that's something you see and feel, but the expectation is the airbags there as well, right? And that's something you really don't see unless you, know, you look at the little symbol on the steering wheel. I think that's kind of the same way when you're a buyer of a product, right? You're buying some SaaS product. It's not a security product. It's, it's something to help your company make more money, move faster, engage your customers at a higher, deeper level. So 
uh, I think that comes with an expectation that it's just already secure, right? You're taking in this type of data. I just expect it to be secure, right? Maybe you tell me some things about it. Um, but that that's how I think I would look at it from that, from a startup standpoint, in a public company, certainly that that's going to be very different, right? You're going to be held to a different level. Maybe you're responsible for P&L for your organization or something like that. That really goes down to budgeting, right? At the end of the day, what is the organization going to accept in that spend and how does that align with the business? And there's a couple different ways I approach that, right? So at Crossbeam, one of the first values that stood out to me is, is trust, right? That's if you don't trust the <laughs> platform and product you're buying, why would you buy it, right? So I think instilling that through either things you can see like cybersecurity certifications, you know, SOC 2 and ISO and things you can't see, right? Applying things like EDR and other advanced solutions that, you know, that buyer might not know about, but the expectation is is that it's there. Yeah, I get that. I completely get that. And I'm thinking back through my past. And, and for those who don't know my whole history in cyber, I'll give it very briefly. I started off as an IT person, Worked my way up through management in the IT ranks, focusing here and there on security back back a long, long time ago when there weren't too many dedicated security roles. I switched to engineering and grew up through product security for a good 10 years after that. And then came back to being a CISO doing IT, but I brought the product security with me. And my first role as CISO, I was actually in charge of all security for the enterprise product and IT and enterprise, all of it combined. And so I've got a very product-centric perspective as a CISO that a lot of folks don't necessarily have. And I think it biases me and it can cloud my take on some of these things. But what I noticed years ago was that, to your point, security is a value add, as a differentiator in the market. There were some clients who really, really, really cared that my non-security product was secure. And working with them to meet with them and go over what we had done. And to your point, here's certifications we've achieved. Here's an overview of our program. I was able to get into great detail with potential clients about the security and, and participate basically in, in sales functions. There were some times that a big buyer absolutely wanted to talk to the security guys before they were willing to pull the trigger on a big purchase. And there I was making that value add, making that differentiation and, and helping win that sale. And this was literally as CISO, I was doing this. And so to me, business alignment has always been second nature. But I think that you can get yourself into some perspectives there that, that need a little bit more slicing and dicing. And, and by this, I mean, I've always worked for high tech companies, right? So, so I was making video conferencing products uh, in the scenario I just described. That's what my company did at the time. I've also done uh, high tech delivery. I've done SaaS delivery. I've done a number of deliveries, you know, my, where the company I worked for delivered a number of different products and services, but almost always in tech. So I think it's very easy if the end product, even if it's not a security product, is a technical product, it's really easy to align security with that business mission and say, hey, here you go. But there's another perspective when you slice and dice that that is interesting to me, and that is B2B versus B2C. And I think you sort of hinted at this a bit. As individual consumers, we expect that airbag to be in the car, but we're not shopping around looking for the best quality airbag or who's got the most airbags. At least I don't. I mean, I know some cars come with 20 of them and some come with 15 or, you know, whatever the, the numbers are these days as they keep plowing more and more of them into each vehicle. But that's not one of my 
big differentiators when I'm shopping for a car. As a consumer, in other words, the security is maybe a tad less important to me. But as another business, if you're going to be trusted with my business data, I think I'm going to have much more interest. So what's your take on that one? Chris Pattison over at Archer on, on our LinkedIn chat says this. He says, is it easier for a B2B or B2C? In general, he says there's a larger risk surface to protect and less leverage with one of those scenarios there. What's your take on that whole B2B versus B2C thing? And how does that affect being a business aligned CISO? I think that's a really interesting question because I talk with other CISOs that are in those roles, right? B2C, business to consumer or B2B, business to business, so, you know, who, who you're selling to, who's the end user. Most of the organizations I have been in have been B2B, except for maybe one where really the end user was a consumer, but the individuals paying for the platform were, were another business. So I think you get different questions, certainly from your customers, right? Exactly what you said, business to business, you're going to be asking for specific terms, right? If you're at a certain spend level with that vendor, you're going to probably ask for security certifications or security review. Obviously, a DPA is pretty much, uh, I think, on the table for everyone nowadays. So I think you're held to maybe a little, little different standard, but I think almost there might be more risk on the B2C side just because of the sheer volume of data, right? If you're a B2C organization, you're going to have hundreds of thousands, millions of customers, right? B2C, maybe you maybe you have a thousand customers, maybe 10,000 at the most. So I think the scale's a little different and the risks when it comes to the data is different as well, right? So if you're using, you know, just pick one, I don't know, Instagram or something, I don't think anyone's, I don't think anyone on that platform is messaging them and asking for their SOC 2, right? That's, that's just not, that's just not happening. But the expectation is that there's privacy around your data that, that you have at that organization. So I think it, it actually, the emphasis might be more on partnering with your GC or general counsel or your legal department or head of legal or what have you because the data privacy implications I think are, are higher and the stakes are a little higher because at the end of the day, you don't really have terms with those folks, right? You've got a EULA or something like that, a click through that, you know, it's 15 pages long that probably no one reads, uh, except some of us that enjoy le reading through those, uh, those legal terms to really see what they're doing with your data. So I think it's a different challenge, but I don't think one is more challenging than the other. Maybe if you bring on a, a B2C CISO, maybe they'll disagree with me and we could have a, a different conversation of who, whose job is harder or easier. <laughs> Right. And, and I just thought of something in, in what you said, something jumped out to me and it made me think of my background in data services, which is another area where I've been a CISO. In the data services industry, which is clearly all B2B, right? You're doing IT services for another business. All manner of contracts and, and things are put on the table early on. High expectations of a security posture are put on the table early on. And so there's a definite demand for the security in that B2B context. But what's interesting is every one of those contracts ends up talking about what if something goes south? What if, what if somebody screws up? And there are liability clauses already baked in. In other words, there's this high expectation of security in the first place. But then the liability, if a security event occurs, is pre-calculated, predefined, agreed to by both parties, and therefore, I would argue, relatively low. Versus in B2C, to your point, 
there's not this demand for the security up front. And yet the risk is actually quite high because if you're somebody like, you know, Equifax or somebody who's processing a bajillion people's consumer information, personal information, that, that somehow a security event occurs, you're looking at some kind of massive class action lawsuit that in theory has no cap on it, right? In, in other words, demand is high, payout if screw up is low for B2B. Demand is low, but payout if screw up is high for B2C. And I think that's a very interesting conundrum there that I hadn't really thought through until I just heard your explanation there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The uncapped liability, uh, that's certainly, you know, every contract I read, whether I'm buying something or it's a customer asking for something, that's usually my first go-to. And, and obviously, the legal team's first go-to is how much liability are we signing up for? And I think you're right there is, you know, an Equifax type or, or you know, pick your large retailer data breach and what was the impact there? What was the cost there? Because you know consumers are going to fight for what they believe is is the right outcome, and certainly there's I'm sure tons of uh, law firms that will jump onto that as well. I think it's interesting. This is probably a completely different topic is to to look at that long term. Is what is the impact? of those for those organizations, liability-wise, cost-wise, was there really an impact, right? You maybe look at a stock, there's a blip, you know, dip, a dip for a little while, and then they all kind of come back. So that's probably a different topic to, to dive into one day. Right. Uh, that always does floor me that you always, there's always this expectation that the company is going to really suffer a blow from this kind of thing. And, and beyond whatever raw payout of a class action might be on the table, to your point, I think every single instance I've ever seen, the, the stock has recovered relatively quickly, which to me means there's less motivation in that regard to obviously secure the consumer's information, right? A little scary that there is no long-term repercussion. But to your point, <laughs> another topic maybe for another show. So one of the other questions we had on LinkedIn, and this was one of the anonymous questions, and this one's going to get a little more into the day-to-day -day physics of being a business-oriented CISO, which is good because I think we need to do a little bit of a deeper dive here. He said, how do you strike the balance between allowing the business the flexibility it needs to move quickly and respond to changing customer demands and a dynamic business environment, and yet still know you are doing everything you can to properly defend and secure your organization? In other words, how do you keep from being the brakes on a dynamic, ever-changing workplace where the business itself is learning to flex and move at, you know, dare I say, agile speeds, continuous uh, DevOps, you know, CICD. How do you, as security, not be the guy putting the brakes on while still maintaining what you know needs to be the security posture for your company? You know, I alluded to earlier, you know, when I went from IC to manager, that was certainly something I struggled with and really like having kind of a come to Jesus moment of, you know, you're responsible for different things now and it's just not going to be, you can't be a security purist about everything, right? You're not going to follow the RFC to a T. That's just not how businesses operate. So a couple things that I like to do and I've learned over the years is figure out what it is you're selling, how you're selling it, who are your buyers, what are those personas, and have like a deep understanding of what it is that you're protecting. That's part of that relationship building, right? You need to do kind of at the start of a job and, and frankly, throughout your job, right? You, you always have to 
give those relationships, you know, care and feeding. So the other part I would say is maybe more specifically is how you, how you don't slow things down is looking at your legal protections and insurance. So one of the first things I do when I join an organization is go look at our deck page for our insurance or the declaration page for your insurance and figure out what is covered, what isn't. I go talk to our broker. They're the ones that are going to be able to really give you the deep dive on what it is you're paying for in insurance, right? That's really at the end of the day, the final backstop. Yeah. If everything's on fire, that's your final place to, to have some savior and uh, protection for the organization to, to keep going. Right. So. That's one. Understanding the liabilities you've signed up with vendors and customers, right? Basically reading through every single customer contract you've signed. That's easier to do at some organizations, depending on their age, you know, if they've got thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers. Understanding those two pieces, because really at the end of the day, when it all starts falling apart, that's that's really where you're going to be going to is okay, who did we sign up for at the beginning of our organization when we're looking for lighthouse customers that has uncapped liability, right? Huge possible impact to the business if something went wrong. Those are the two kind of tactical areas I look at. And then, you know, someone wants to bring on some new tool. You talk about like slowing things down. Just let them bring on the tool, right? (laughs) You're building the organization maybe as you go. No one's perfect, right? No, no cybersecurity program on the world is in a perfect state. If there is, I'd I'd love to see that and and hear how they did it. But you just look at every Verizon uh, data breach report every year, right? It's constant. So the risk, I think, of you letting the business, and when I say letting, I mean, not being the one that just says, no, we need to pump the brakes. We need to do a deep dive review on this thing. You you can get high level information from those business owners and do a quick sanity check of, is this something I really need to put a pause on or, or can we just keep moving in a startup? I think that's critical, right? You're moving at blazing fast speeds, right? You're trying to scale depending at what phase you're at, right? If you're in the formation phase or growth phase, Maybe in a public company that's 100 years old, you've got a lot more maturity and processes in place. But even those organizations, why why slow things down when you've got other ways to mitigate that risk? It It doesn't always have to be a technical control that addresses that risk. That took a long time for me to learn that. It wasn't, it wasn't second nature. And you kind of mentioned earlier about things being second nature. I think some of those things are just, you know, difficult lessons to, that you have to learn at some point. So that would be my two areas, right? Is, is your insurance and what agreements have you signed up for, right? There's, there's no reason I think to, to really slow the, the business down in many cases. I like that. And I'll add, there's another trick that I've mastered over the years to sort of set security up as a business enabler early and get the whole business thinking of security as a partner and not a not, not the brakes on the car. And that is to look for any and all moments where you can improve security while also simultaneously improving the user experience for whoever it might be. And I'll give you some examples. Rolling out SASE, for example. Once you've got a good SASE play, people that want to add all these new dynamic SaaS platforms, it becomes very easy to integrate them and get them onboarded. 
included. And you're gaining some protections while also embracing to your point, like, oh yeah, go ahead and deploy that. I get it. Marketing team has this new SaaS app they want to use. Go for it. We'll, we'll get you rolled in, folded in in no time at all, and you'll be secure and productive and happy. Another good example is single sign-on MFA, biometrics type stuff. You can improve the security posture and actually make it easier for people to log into their computers at the same time, right? There's a total win there. Doing away with complex passwords and giving people quick and easy ways in is, is actually improving security and performance simultaneously. And another good one I like to do, especially in larger organizations, nine times out of 10, when you walk into a larger org, you'll have the god-awful annual security training that you have to sit there for an hour plus and click next, 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 and take the little quiz. And it's just painful for everybody. Replace that with, uh, you know, micro learning, nano learning, whatever you want to call it, and get those little short bursts, you know, short and sweet, entertaining little quick moments of security. Improve that. People are only spending a couple of minutes a month. That's another win that I like to see. As soon as you do away with that big training, a whole lot of folks come out of the woodwork to say, hey, <laughs> I don't know who you are, new security guy, but I like you already. Right. Exactly. It's, yeah, you, you've got to come in and make people feel like they're part of the decision as well. You know, that didn't just happen in a vacuum. And I, I think a lot of those things that you mentioned, I, I love all those. And it's really going back to which one can I implement quickly in my organization? I think that's our job as the cybersecurity leader in that organization to figure out which is the right one, right? I want to implement all those things all the time, anywhere I'm at, but you know, you're not going to do everything in the first week, month, or even year, right? Yep. But they're, they're easy wins that help establish the brand of security as enabler. So I always, I always have those in my early stage kit and try to pick at least one of those three. So we're getting close to the end of the show. I have a couple of questions I ask every guest. The first one is, tell us what keeps you in the information security game. You've been doing this for a while. You get out of bed in the morning, you, you're bound into work. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you in the game? I think that the fact that it feels pretty evergreen, like it's it's always changing, there's always something new. You just mentioned Sassy, right? That wasn't really something that existed maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Maybe it was a thought. There were some precursors to it. But things like that where we had these preconceived notions of how security was supposed to be, and then we've changed, right? I'll give you a great example that I love doing. You were talking about what you implement first is uh, when NIST reversed their stance on, on password rotation, right? That was probably one of the greatest things to ever happen for end users. And that's something I love to remove immediately, right? There's no security reason besides maybe some antiquated standard or, or questionnaire or certification that that thinks you should have rotation or something like that but removing that right users absolutely love that stuff awesome so second and last question for the show what are you looking forward to in cyber i love the fact that we're i think slowly getting to user oriented cybersecurity and bringing UX into it from two points. One from the end users that that we're having an impact on, but also us as practitioners, right? You look at a lot of the a lot of the cybersecurity tools we use out there, and only a few 
I'm seeing, you know, really taking into account that they have in-house UX experts, UX researchers that are looking at how people are using their product, right? Oh, this, this person's having to click 40 times to get to this one very easy end result. I think that's what I'm most excited for in security that we're, we're start, starting to take the uh, human aspect of realizing at the end of the day, what we implement has to be used by another person. Fantastic. Well, Chris Costallo, thanks so much for coming on down to the Cyber Ranch. Folks, once again, his book is called Startup Secure, Baking Cybersecurity into Your Company from Founding to Exit. It's available for pre-order on Amazon. Thank you, Chris Costaldo. Thank you, audience. Y'all be good. <laughs>